Hi everyone, welcome to this month's episode of the Cyber Threat Briefing on the Show Cloud Podcast. As always, I'm joined here by Hugh Rayner. Hello. And we've also got Aaron Dowdswell joining as well. Hi there, everyone. So a little bit of a special episode this month. Um, we thought we would cover AI in a bit more depth. We covered it last month in the April podcast episode. Very briefly, so we had probably 10 minutes to discuss some implications of it and, and so on and so forth. Have a listen back to that one. If you want to hear what we talked about, we will reference that as we go along a little bit as well. But we are going to do a little bit more of a deep dive uh, this month. We're going to start to cover off a little bit more about, you know, the history of it, kind of where we are now today, um, what's happened in the last kind of six months. It's been quite a fast ride. But also what we see the future looking like. And we'll preface this episode by saying that things are happening quite fast. We are trying to pick it apart and bring you the kind of insights and the information that we think is useful. But also we're learning, right? So the three of us are still along a learning path here, as everyone else in the world is. So we'll try and be as definitive as we can. Um, but bear in mind that we might record this in two months' time and the scene might have changed quite a lot. So let's get into it and uh, we'll try and cover off some insight and bring you some interesting things that you can take away. So first question, I guess, really, is, is what is AI? Why are we talking about it? And so on and so forth. So I guess I can cover them and then I'll bring you guys in to have a couple of discussion points around where we see things and what we've seen in the past. So the first thing to say is that there are a number of different definitions for AI, and some of them are used interchangeably, particularly in the past when it weren't so obvious what the differences were, I guess. And I will say that some of the questions we're about to cover today, we did use AI to generate as well, and see if you can spot which ones were used, uh, which ones we used AI to generate. Now, I suppose the question we would ask is, what is AI? So artificial intelligence is essentially a goal, right? So it's an ability for machines to perform tasks that would have typically been uh, associated with human intelligence. So things like problem solving, reasoning, learning, and kind of that level of intelligence, which previously machines wouldn't have been able to do without having explicitly been programmed to do that task. And I think that's the key thing, right? So it's an ability for a machine to apply some intelligence to solve a single or solve a set of problems that are presented to it. Some other terms that we might have heard in the past would have been things like machine learning, and they would have typically been interchangeably used i think in, in various if you look back a couple of maybe like a year two years ago you might have even seen you know marketing pamphlets and things like that said ai slash ml and they would have been used interchangeably they are not the same thing that's the first point to note they're kind of out the same school let's say the same rough discipline so you might have artificial intelligence as the overall discipline and then within that you've got things like machine learning being a subset of artificial intelligence Neural networks being a subset of that, and then deep learning a subset of neural networks. And they kind of all interchange, you know, all, all happen interchangeably in the way. The easiest way I can think of it is AI is the goal, and machine learning is a technique that can be used to achieve that goal. And that's essentially what we're talking about here. So definition, as I said, for AI is the ability of machines to perform tasks that humans would have previously only been understood to have been able to achieve. Things like self-driving cars, facial recognition software, translating language systems, solving problems that you might present to it. They're potentially playing games that previously wouldn't have been able to have been played by a computer. The techniques would be things like neural networks, so a, a set of neural networks designed to be able to solve said problems without any explicit programming. And things like deep learning, reinforced learning, so on and so forth. The difference with machine learning would be, like I said, subsets. There's a much reduced uh, scope of that. So it's the ability for machines to learn from data without being explicitly programmed. So you might give it a data set and you solve me something around this. It'll learn, it'll learn from the data set. AI doesn't necessarily use such a, a big data. So you can present it normal questions and it'll, it has a, a large, large language model in the background, but it can answer these questions and, and kind of pull themes together. 
and build context. I hope I've done that reasonable justice in kind of 60 seconds or so. Uh, but guys, just before we move on to the further questions, is there anything that you want to add into the definitions of AI or ML or how it's all kind of been used interchangeably? Yeah, I guess I'd say that we, as humans, we still don't even really know the true definition of what is intelligence. So it's a question that's been plaguing humanity for you know, all of our history, our own understanding of, of what makes something intelligent or not. And so being able to describe something as artificial intelligence or not artificial intelligence is not really something that we can answer, something philosophers can debate over and still debate over. We're certainly getting closer to it if we take the kind of middle ground definition, if you like, of that it's the ability to infer information and adapt that information to get to outcomes, uh, which is a very fluffy middle of the ground approach. There's lots of specific elements that would help determine you know, creativity as part of that reasoning, self-awareness, all those other pieces that fit into it. So yeah, I would just caution it to say that is, is depending on who you ask and their own philosophical take on what intelligence is would determine whether or not we've ever have or will reach artificial intelligence. And do you have anything you want to add to that? Yeah, I think, like Aaron says, I think we'll always consider ourselves to be on the cusp of true AI. You know, for the longest time, it was um, the Turing test. You, if you if you can't establish that you're speaking to a computer, then it's it's an AI. But I think, you know, we, we'd look at ChatGPT now and say, yeah, well, it passes the Turing test, but it doesn't quite feel like AI. And I think, you know, for an analogy, I think it's almost going to be like, um, you know, computer graphics. You first look at Doom and you think, wow, this is fantastic. And then you look at computer games from, from 10, 15 years ago that you thought at the time when you were playing them that this was you know, groundbreaking, absolutely phenomenal graphics. And you look back at those now and think that's pretty atrocious. I think we'll always feel like we're almost there, but not quite as the, the goalposts seem to move with our sort of current technological progress. And is that down to our expectations as, I suppose, engineers, technologists, um, but also as a society that, you know, things get better than we think, well, if that's got better, then surely we're going to get better again and so on and so forth. And we just have these ever-shifting levels of expectation because before the more recent, you know, chat GPT we'll go on to in a second and we'll cover the history, but when that before that was released, I didn't personally see a time in the immediate future when I could put any question to a machine and get something sensible back as if I was being to a person. So I think maybe it's something to do with our shifting expectations as well as a society and particularly in this group here, technologists, I would consider us to be. I think fundamentally, right, we're we're chasing sentience, which is, I think, the only point at which we'd sort of say, yes, this is, by all definitions, no one can argue, AI. And I just don't think that that's uh, anytime soon. Okay, good. As mentioned there, there are some very recent developments in the last well, last six months have been quite a lot going off, and it seems to be getting faster. So, Aaron, if you're able to give us a, a run through of, you know, what we've seen recently, but maybe a little bit further than that, if you've got the time to, to kind of cover it off a little bit. Yeah, sure. So, the history of AI is actually longer than you might think, I suppose. It kind of comes along with the dawn of computing. It was as early as the 1950s, I think. There was um, creation of, say, a, a simple checkers program so that uh, you could play against an AI version of simple checkers game and then obviously as we move forward you get to the 1990s you've got advanced chess models like ibm's deep blue that were able to start beating world champions at chess 
And then since then, things have carried on along that model of there's been machine learning. We've moved on to things like I remember in the early days of the internet when I was young, you'd be able to ask, you know, the 20 questions bots online and they'd be able to go through a deterministic model to get to the thing you were thinking of. You know, you'd think of a celebrity or a particular physical thing and it would be able to, after certain questions, get to that. Wouldn't call that AI, but it's certainly moving along that almost neural network type of knowledge of inferring connections between things, which is where the neural bit comes from. You know, it's imitating the human brain and making the connection between different topics uh, or similar topics. And then we get to closer to where we are today, right? We've got things like uh, content aware, stable diffusion models. We've got large language models, which is where things like ChatGPT start to come into play. And those have really come into existence in the last three, four years, sort of 2018 period whereby we're starting to see what we're now seeing in the media referred to as AI. And so where that leads us next, well, that's that's the big question mark, I suppose. We can certainly see we're on an exponential curve at the moment. We discussed this a little bit last episode, right? We don't know how far along that curve we are, but we are definitely looking at a accelerated pace of development versus the amount of time that uh, it's been in existence as a, as a topic as we know it. So if we take as an example, ChatGPT, it reached a million users in just a few days. You compare that to most social media that came into existence like Facebook or YouTube or other really well-known websites that are around today, they took months or years to get to a similar level of adoption. So that's pretty significant in the speed it was adopted at, right? So this is you know not just something that, I guess, geeks like us are going to really interest, be interested in, but this is kind of mass adoption. So people are going, oh, that's quite interesting. I'll sign up and get an account and I'll have a look at it and have a play around with it. And I guess that's because it's easy to use, right? You, you register like you would anything else and you start to put things into it, ask questions, anything you want really ultimately. So I think there's there's a an ease of use for it as well. It's not like you have to, you know, be an expert programmer or an expert system administrator to be able to run things on the command line to ask it questions and so on and so forth. It is literally a web app types of stuff in and off you go. So I think that's contributed quite heavily to its adoption and the way the speed has been picked up and used ultimately. And like you say, it was the, about 30th of November. It was a chat GPT's official release and it's been quite busy since then. I know there's, it feels to me like there's a lot of big organizations throwing a lot of money at this in a short space of time. So I know Microsoft invested in the, OpenAI, I think they called them, the, the company that, that basically created ChatGPT, $10 billion, I think was the investment at the time, and then since invested in other AI companies as well. It feels like there's a lot of, a bit of an, a bit of an arms race, if you like, at the minute of Google recently brought out AI, their AI product called Bard, um, and then went into quite some detail about how it's put together, the technical side of it, um, and then started to immediately integrate it into the products that they already have. Right, So it feels like there's a little bit of a race on as well. So that's I think that's probably playing into the the speed at which things have been developed, the speed of innovation um, that we've seen now is the, the last six months for me seem to be in a lot quicker than the previous even six years, maybe longer than that. But that might be because it's in the news pretty much every two days there's a new article about chat GPT or AI of some sort, right? So it might be the fact that there's more optics on it and the fact that we've seen things in played out in the open space, but also I think it is developing at a much quicker rate than it had done. Right, so we've kind of briefly covered the, the philosophical question Aaron, do you think we've got full artificial intelligence at the moment? I would say n not from my personal view on things. If I use, you know, some of the most advanced large language models, they are 
they are really just advanced neural networks. They're taking a big data set that they've got access to, and they're giving you that inferred link between disparate bits of information to present information to you. You're never going to ask ChatGPT a question and decide, you know what, I'm not feeling like it today. Come back tomorrow, you know, I've got a headache. They don't really have free will. They are just following their programming and, and what they've been told to do and working on the data set they have access to. They're never going to come up with something outside of that data set. So they're not going to say, you know what, I went and looked here all of a sudden because, you know, they decided that's where they want to look. And actually, that's where I would caution AI. I know it's a bit of a tangent, but ChatGPT will give you its responses. You compare that to a typical search engine where actually you, you, you click on the search engine and you get 10 million responses or potentially more that you as a human can then go and look through and use your intelligence to say, actually, I don't trust that source because it's written dodgily or it's not got references. I do trust this source because it's well-referenced, it's well-written, it's from a well-known organization. ChatGPT doesn't have, or, or other large language models, don't have that level of deterministic capability yet to take the information on board and then do a deep analysis. They're using their own creativity, their own inferred experience previously. They're getting more advanced in that area, but I don't think they're at that point yet where I would call them artificial intelligence as opposed to just an advanced neural network. But I might get shot down for that by many fans of AI, so I'm aware it's a contentious topic. <laughs> Yeah, which is exactly why I asked the question. Um, I know you you mentioned earlier on the same, similar thoughts that we we're not there yet, but the, the shift in expectations could like it'll be never achieved, I guess. But yeah, you might get shut down, and you might be eating humble pie in two months when we see some other rapid developments, perhaps. But yeah, it's an interesting space, right? It's an interesting question. Let's talk about the use cases, particularly from a cybersecurity perspective, because obviously that's the the industry the way that we're in. So Hugh, I'll bring you in here. So can you just talk to us a little bit more about? how we might see AI enhancing the effectiveness and efficiency of cybersecurity measures. Yeah, so I guess, as we discussed in, in, in previous episodes, it is really a, a double-edged sword here, right? So for as much as we can do to advance our capabilities, threat actors are also going to be leveraging AI in, in the same way. So things like developing payloads, you know, speaking, you know sticking with ChatGPT, absolutely fantastic for really quickly just dumping you out a load of code that is probably 85% of the way there to what you need to use. So, you know, developing exploits, payloads, you know, obfuscating code, things like that, really useful. But then in that same vein, we can also use it, you know, from a defensive side to de-obfuscate code or, or try and work out how things are working like that. So yeah, it's really good at spotting patterns and things like that. So if you're getting a lot of, you know, interaction on your site from certain IP address ranges, and that's your sort of I mean, we talked about it before, your baseline, your normal, and then you're seeing, you know, new different activity from different ranges or different times of day and that sort of thing. You know, it's, it's really good at spotting those patterns and picking that out as anomalous behavior. You know, things like, like virtual patching, right? I think if not right now, brilliantly, then, then at least soon have that capability, you know, especially through things like uh, security operations, um, automation res response uh, tooling to you know see see something's going on and analyze the environment and work out you know a way to apply virtual patching you know or, or, or other mitigations so certainly i do think you know absolutely we'll, we'll see good progress there from both offensive and defensive sides okay perfect so we we expect to see enhancements basically across the board and i think crucially you can give kind of a, a spoken language prompt right so you can say generate me a payload that will run on Windows 10 to evade this type of detection, and I want it to do X as an action, right? Whereas, you know, to, to previously uh, develop payloads, you might have been 
writing that yourself. Uh, you might have had to have a, a better understanding of what you were asking for. But this kind of lowers the bar of entry, I think, for a certain tasks, right, um, on the on the kind of threat emulation side. And like you said, and there's a, the, 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 the flip of that is you can use the same technology to enhance your detection capability and, and then ultimately your response capability. So by plugging that into various different machines, different kind of platforms, like solar platforms, that kind of thing, you could then potentially automate some changes off the back of it. So I guess one of the benefits you will probably find or we will see as an industry is speed. So we might end up being a lot quicker around how we can you know, solve problems, make changes, that kind of thing to networks and so on and so forth. So I think there's quite a lot of undiscovered potential, let's say, in, in what we're seeing at the moment. One of the things that we you could do as well as a, as a pen tester, as, as we've all done pen testing in the past and no doubt sat there looking at a, an API spec, for instance, in the previous life and working through each of the methods, what does this do, what does that do, asking the right questions. Uh, you could just point AI to Swagger file now and you know, explain with this API and off you go. So from our perspective as a day-to-day pen testing job as well, um, it becomes a lot quicker to gain that initial understanding perhaps of what does this do and what does that do. Um, and therefore you can then spend more time looking for more interesting things. Aaron, I'm bring you in there and just see if there's anything you want to add into the the opportunity space that we might see in, in cybersecurity. Yeah, I think it probably ties into one of the topics we're about to go on to, which is the way it will change the, the way we work as organizations, the way we have employment opportunities. There's certainly, as you said, a lot of benefits to security orchestration automation response, the way we respond to threats, the way we detect threats. That means that there will be fewer needs for human interaction at the outset. And so humans will then be brought in once AI has made a decision, perhaps, and then the human factor comes in and we use our own creative intelligence as humans to take what the AI has said it thinks is right. And then we validate it or say, actually, no, you got it wrong on this case. I'm going to do this particular thing as a human. Whilst we're on the subject, let's talk about the risks of AI. Let's talk about if we do start to use this more broadly, more widely. You know, what, what should organizations do? I mean, I will point out, we, we covered this in the last um, the last session. We spent 10 minutes, which is a very short amount of time, talking about AI, but specifically what should an organization do? Uh, so have a listen back to that episode from last month in the April uh, Cyber Threat Briefing. But as a, as a TLDR, Aaron, what's the, the top three ways to manage the risk that AI poses to businesses right now? Yeah, we focused a lot on the privacy side last time around, so I'll start with that one and say that, um, yeah, the privacy implications are the major one. You know, What data are you giving to an AI language model? Is it cloud-based? If so, consider the same controls you might whenever you're working with a third party. So just think about your supply chain, You know, who you're sending data to, do you trust them? How is it being stored? How is it being used? What SLAs are in place with them to make sure your data is protected? What recourse do you have? All those sorts of things around making sure the entity you're dealing with is appropriate making sure that the data you're sharing with it is something you're willing to share. And then tying that into the awareness piece, employees need to start being aware of the fact that AI language models exist, that they may or may not be used for business purposes. So you need to understand as an organization, your stance on it. I'd shy away from saying, you know, blanket ban using OpenAI or ChatGPT or other large language models, they're useful and employees enjoy using them and it can help efficiency, but they need to be aware of the risks involved in giving data to those or relying entirely on the responses given by AI language models. So it's just a matter of educating staff on that front. And there's also the technical controls. If you're starting to consider wide adoption of AI within your organization, either on-premises equivalents of an AI large language model or say with the fusion or whatever model it might be you're using, or whether you're using it in the cloud, or how you're limiting access to it to make sure that third parties can't get access to it. So the typical technical controls you'd expect around protecting the confidentiality, integrity, and availability of your AI system, if you like. So yeah, they're the three things really. Privacy, 
the policies you put in place and awareness you put in place and then the technical controls, much like with any other adoption of a tool within an organization. Yeah, and I would argue it's probably if you do blanket ban it, people will find a way anyway. There'll be a, a shadow IT aspect to, well, I'm just going to go and use my iPad to type in the question and then copy and paste the response back in. Because ultimately, the, 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 the words you get back is as you would speak it or as you would write it down yourself, right? So being able you can't really use and then it's sort of DLP or any login-based technology to identify when that's being copied and pasted and, and so on and so forth. So I think, yeah, it's, it's getting, I, would, I would say it's a case of getting on board with it and then being able to control it through the, the techniques that you just mentioned rather than blanket banning it. There's one more thing I'd add here, I suppose, that we didn't really touch on, and it's not so much around the security controls, but the ethical controls in place around AI, well worth mentioning, and it's still, again, something that needs due consideration not just from a privacy perspective, you know, GDPR style, but what are your users doing in terms of giving information to an AI that perhaps the AI shouldn't have, so sensitive information? And how do you handle that as an organization? And, and there's also the element of a machine making a decision on behalf of a, a human or a decision that impacts a human. You need to think about actually how far do you want this to be allowed to go? Certain countries you'll have employment laws that means that there's always the right for a human to be able to make a decision uh, or override a decision. And if you've got AI language models being used, then you need to make sure you've had the right consultations, you've got the right controls in place to make sure that those decisions can be overridden and so on. Thank you, Aaron. That's really, uh, really good stuff. So have a listen back to last last month's episode in the April and actually hopefully the, the base we've covered there should give you a bit of a pathway forward at a, at a high level. Here, we'll, we'll move on to the next topic now, which is employment in cybersecurity and how that might be impacted through AI. We've kind of briefly mentioned, right, that, that things will change and that we should be able to, in theory, get more things done in a shorter time frame. So I guess, how do you see that AI impacting the roles and responsibilities of cybersecurity professionals in the future? Maybe it's in the short, short term as well. And how are you going to be out of a job, ultimately? Well, hopefully not. At least the job that we're doing might change, right? As we've seen many times before, instead of having whole rows of, of checkouts in the supermarkets, you might have a, a couple of attendants manning the, um, you know, the self-serve areas. They're, those are still jobs. And I mean, way back, you know, farming, we have people with scythes in, in, in fields harvesting crops, right? Now we've got, you know, one or two people manning some, some combine harvesters and things like that. These are still jobs, but then as, as well as those jobs, you've got, you know, all the people involved in, in the maintenance of this equipment, the manufacturing of it, right? So the jobs are likely to move around, I'd imagine. And obviously some people are going to have to, to retrain, but I don't think we necessarily see, okay, cybersecurity now only has four jobs, go fight for them. Okay, so it's good, it's good point. So we think as a general consensus that our general role and I use ours as the royal we's in the industry the, the roles will kind of somewhat change in there we we might not do so many so much as kind of heavy lifting so we might we might refer that across to an ai based tool or use ai on top of tools to, to enhance it makes sense good um so what skills and knowledge will be essential for us moving forward so if you want to stay current stay on the front the leading curve of what's going off what should people be doing now in, in terms of those who work in the industry or want to get into the industry yeah, so sure. I think, you know, in the vein of what we were discussing, I think things like vulnerability scanning and basic remediation and things like that, I think that's a pretty good candidate for for AI to have a pretty good grasp on. You know, I think at the moment, at least, and obviously all of this is just based on 
on today's information, right? So who knows where it will go? I think an understanding of context of, of an organization and the ways of working and things like that is really essential to, um, you know, formulating good sort of security plans and strategies and things like that. And AI just just isn't there, right? It can't tell you this is how much users will feel inconvenienced if you implement this control. It's going to just look at it objectively and say this control gives you this benefit. So I think an understanding, you know, more more sort of risk management consultative efforts are probably going to become harder to sort of replicate with with AI as opposed to the um, the more technical. Here's a scan. Here's the results. What do we do next? which is unfortunate for me. <laughs> Aaron, anything you want to add? Yeah, much like you said, it will, it will just change the nature of how we're working. If we think specifically entry-level, the way I'll see, well, the way I think a lot of the more entry-level cybersecurity jobs will go in particular is that there'll be a, a massive push for those entry-level roles to be interacting with machine learning or AI algorithmic outputs or inputs, you know, helping determine what this algorithm is going to detect. Much like this isn't even a new thing, really. If we think about seams and source of the SOC security operations center side, they've been using rule sets and, and advanced versions of rule sets they call machine learning for nigh on a decade now, at the very least, in terms of determining what gets flagged as an alert, as an example. And that's often an entry-level job to either monitor and look at those alerts that are generated and be that first line of support to say, yeah, I think this is a valid alert, I'll start an investigation, or you know, writing some of the rule sets that will help determine when an alert is triggered. And cybersecurity, that will just become more mainstream, I think, in a broader topic as opposed to just being on the detective side, you know, the alerts being generated. We'll start seeing it on the protective side on, you know, automating the creation of defensive rules and firewall rules, automating the detection of vulnerabilities, the vulnerability scanning, which in and of itself, you could say is a very light touch version of a deep learning model. You know, you're, you're scanning for a vulnerability, it's determining whether X, Y, or Z is vulnerable to X, Y, or Z, and then it's spitting out a, a response saying you're vulnerable to this through doing this, 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 and this. And then normally the human approach would be to verify that or flag it as a false positive or take the determination of how do we quantify the risk to our business, which requires all these other factors to come in about how much do we care about the asset, internal versus external facing, what's the value of it, what's the impact of CINA, and all those other bits and pieces that come into play for an organization's risk management. So I think the role of a cybersecurity consultant or in cybersecurity in general will be much more advisory going forwards. And there'll be that need to understand how AI language models work and how to use them effectively to get good outcomes and then enhance those outcomes with your expertise. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. I think we'll find a we'll find a layer that's kind of sitting above these new advancements and things like that, which is where we add the context, we add the, the necessary additional information that we know about and, and can then start to contextualise. We might end up getting replaced eventually anyway, but who knows? So I guess final question, really. Do we think AI will impact the, the size of the cybersecurity workforce that's required, glo- I guess, globally, right? So just as a, I guess that's more of a philosophical question, do we think the need for cybersecurity resources is going to shrink or do we think it'll stay roughly the same or do you think it'll grow at this point? I don't think we'll see a big shift in the short term, personally. Uh, it's, it's obviously hard to say in the long term, and market conditions will dictate that partly. But I've not seen any disruptors that are going to make jobs obsolete. I think they'll just shift in priority. Security is still a growing market sector, ultimately. Cybersecurity is still a growing market sector, and there's still a need for it. And you know, for, for every defensive role we might think needs to be removed, well, actually, AI is used will be used just as effectively on the offensive side. And as there are more, as that 
bar to entry is lowered for doing cybersecurity attacks, there's going to be a need for more cybersecurity defense in place now. Some of that can be automated, but there will ultimately need to be a workforce to firstly ensure that these defenses are in place. So either on the engineering or implementation side of cybersecurity to put AI defenses in place, perhaps, but then also on the consultative and risk management side and on the general advising side as well to make sure that the defenses that are put in place are proportionate and appropriate and cover off the risks appropriately. So it will be a game of cat and mouse in the employment sector, I'm sure, as much as anything else. Yeah, I agree. I think we find this feet still anyway, so I don't think it'll be anything short term. Uh, Hugh, anything you want to come in there and, and add to Aaron's point? No, yeah, broadly in agreement there. I think, you know, it's an industry where we're constantly making a lot of difficult decisions that are hugely sort of context-based, not only with the, the, you know, the technology in front of us, but the organization as a whole and, and many things offline and external to that. So I can't see how an AI is going to be able to be, you know, aware of these non-digital elements that are really crucial to those difficult decisions. Do we take this asset offline? Do we risk manage this or risk accept this for the time being? You know, that sort of thing, which I think, you know, is, is sort of integral to, to day-to-day operations in, in security. Yeah, agreed. I think that brings us roughly to the to the end there. One, one final thought for me on the upskilling part of it is, if you haven't played with it, play with it. Go and have a go get get logged into Google Bard or Chat GPT and just ask it stuff, ask it questions, find out what the capabilities are. Because sometimes at some point in the near future someone will ask you and say, What can that do? And then can that AI thing do what I wanted to do over here? And it's always better to be on the front foot and have a little play around with these things. That's what I would say for, for people listening in. Um Aaron, I'll come to you first. Any uh, any closing thoughts and one final question. Are you excited or are you scared of AI at this point? <laughs> Am I scared about it? No, I'm a technophile, so I'm looking forward to seeing where this takes us. I enjoy new technologies, seeing how it enhances the human condition, You know, taking a slightly philosophical approach on it as well. Maybe it makes our lives a bit easier and less stressful. I think one of the big things I enjoy using ChatGPT for is it gives you the seed of an idea. If I'm struggling to get started on something, I can go and ask ChatGPT to you know, how do I do this? And it will give me some starters. Definitely doesn't give me the end result, but it lets me start my cognitive processes off to go down that route of human creativity to come up with the solution I want. And just as a a closing thought, you know, going back to, you know, I I as an organization want to start adopting chat GPT, open AI language models. How should I go about doing this? Much like with any other tool, just consider the, you know, the people, the process and the technology aspects to it. How do I leverage those three things to bring AI on board to my organization? That's, That's what I'd say. Thank you, Aaron. Uh, and I'll come to you, Hugh, as well, for the same question. And scared or excited? No, absolutely excited, right? All of these technological innovations are, are really interesting. And I don't think I'd enjoy working in a completely static environment. So, you know, that change is uh, is very driving. Excellent. Thank you, Hugh. Uh, yeah, same for me. I think I'm, I'm excited by it. Interested to see where it goes. It feels quite revolutionary. So, yeah, watching this space. We might need to update this podcast in... 90 days or something like that when it's all changed again but for the time being i think that should might cover some insights on on ai and where we see things at the moment so uh, guys we'll wrap up the episode there and um, as always any questions from any of the listeners please feel free to contact us on the, show, the social media channels but from me it's thank you and goodbye and from aaron thank you all goodbye cheers everyone thanks a lot cheers everyone and see you next month